Oh, 
Well, a very good morning, brothers and sisters, on this winter's day. Thankful to be together. We rejoice in what God has done in Christ and the chance to, again, uh, just uh, be side by side advancing the gospel, as Paul says. And greetings to all those who are at home this morning. We do continue to pray. You feel connected uh, to the church family, that just as Paul tells these Philippians, that it's, it's all of us, that we're one church family, and that we work together to show the love of Christ uh, to a world that does not know him. So by way of announcements today, I know that this uh, season of COVID has been taxing on a lot of uh, marriages, uh, added pressures in the home. So one option would be uh, a marriage conference coming up in about a month's time down in Amish country. You see there, uh, uh, Al and Charlotte Hartman are leading that. They've been married about 35 years and have uh, really led these conferences uh, for, for a long time. And so I would recommend that to you. You can go down a night early on the, on the 26th, I think it would be, and uh, spend the weekend down there and uh, pray that that would minister to you. So the marriage conference, tomorrow's the deadline for the registration there. Uh, but that might uh, be a good thing to look forward to in a month and just uh, refresh and recommit to your spouse. Secondly, men's Bible study. We're starting a new Wednesday morning study. That'll start on Wednesday, February 3rd. Pastor Joe's leading that. Be a time in, in scripture and then a breakout into a kind of a, a discussion all over breakfast and then a, a hard stop at 7.30 so we are off to work. So the men's Bible study, Pastor Joe would be a great contact for that. And uh, ladies, not to leave you out, we have a new round of uh, ladies' Bible studies coming. There's a Monday evening option and a Wednesday uh, morning option. Had a brief look at the curriculum. Both look very good. Don Garrett would be a contact for that. That's on our church website. So please, um, again, if that interests you to not, you can't know everybody equally in the church family, but you can certainly know some very well. And those Bible studies are a great opportunity to have a Christ-centered fellowship So for the men and the women. Those things being said, we now uh, think about what is uh, most important as Christians all over uh, the world uh, gather on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Sabbath, to think about what he's done in Christ to build each other up. And so that's uh, where we turn our attention now to worshiping God and uh, to glorify him. So Pastor Ian will call us to worship. Well, Church, good morning. It's good to be with you. Church at home, good to be with you. Let's go ahead and stand together. And we'll begin our time um, focusing our hearts on the King of Kings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your faithfulness, 
You've appointed a day for us to worship your name as one body, as purchased ones who are here not uh, by accident, but we are here to proclaim your son and his work that he's accomplished on our behalf. Thank you for sending him, Lord, in your love. Thank you for... Thank you for his sacrifice and your justice. And thank you, Lord, for the newness of life we have, the hope we have at his resurrection. And we know he ascended and he is with you right now, reigning. You've given him all dominion and honor and glory. And Lord, help us to, to participate in that this morning, that we would, we would exalt him as you have exalted him. We would, we would give him dominion as you have given him dominion. We would honor him as you have honored him. Father, may your spirit Guide us in our praises today. May our ears be ready to hear your word today, and may it increase our joy in your Son, our repentance to you, and Lord, our, uh, just our glorifying your name to those around us. So Lord, help us as we sing that we are in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still and striving. Comforter, my all is 
members this morning. Well, today is a wonderful day in a lot of ways, uh, but um, mainly today we get to welcome new members into the church family. And one of the reasons we do membership is to really preserve the Christ culture of the church. So every person that's going to be up here today is really uh, given us a testimony. They've been through the classes. They say, you know, we've been bought back by Christ, that we, we owe everything to him, and we want to see the mission of this church uh, go forward as it's laid out. We're to do that together, do Ephesians chapter 4, to build each other up uh, to good works, to equip each other. And so I hope that all of us uh, can rejoice in that. We're uh, inducting 38 new members. Members, uh, across the three services. So if you're uh, becoming into membership and you're in this service, could you make your way up to the platform? There's plenty of space uh, to, to, you know, spread out. And uh, it's just a, a, a glorious moment. So let you come up here. We also have a few couples who came into membership earlier in the... Um, earlier in the pandemic, and that was a, a striking experience for me because I was so happy at once. We're getting a, these new members back in March, April, and yet Pastor Ian and the tech guys were the only ones here. We inducted them through the screen. So we said, if you were inducted in, in March too and you want to come forward, we'd love to have you. So if everybody can see this, and not only I'll say this group, just uh, such a talented bunch too. When the elders are doing the interviews, they said, you know, not only do we love these new members, but boy, God uh, has brought us just some wonderful people. So I'm going to introduce them now now uh, to all of you. So this is Jeremy and Liz Damstra, and very thankful for you. And this is Dawn and Chris Snyder, Trista and Dan Hackney. There's Carissa and Tyler Giesel. We have Ashley Condon and Nick Condon and Allie Condon. We have Lauren and Jeff Kowak. Samantha and David Mercado, thankful for you. They came in during the pandemic. You noticed them. They've already been serving, so thankful for you guys. Tara and Tim Heater, and I do have permission uh, from Tim to say in 18 days, there'll be a baby boy coming, so we'll look forward to, to that announcement very shortly. Thankful for you. There's Dawn and Denver Daniel, and there's Sandy Anderson and Matt Bontrager, and then Aaron and Tim Faust. And each one of these folks, I hope we embrace them, but also to say God has a calling on their lives. He's given them gifts to help all of us who are members to be more mature in our faith, and in turn, we build into them. And so one of the highlights, I think one of the great things about Providence for a long time is our membership covenant. So if you're a member already, if you would stand, so if you've come into membership, if you s s stood and you've taken this covenant, we say it now together, and what it is, and this is rare in these times, that we take obligations upon ourselves. This is what a covenant community is, that we say we are agreeing to a set of obligations that we take seriously, again, because it's about the centrality of Christ. So these statements are derived from the New Testament. We believe this is what a church is. And so all of us now, you can look at that screen, the side screens, will, uh, members will say the membership covenant together. Having been led by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we do now in the presence of God and this assembly solemnly and joyfully enter into a covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, exercising care and watchfulness over one another to pray with and for one another, sharing our burdens, sorrows, and joys, 
to be thoughtful and courteous to one another, slow to take offense, and quick to forgive and seek forgiveness, to guard the spiritual and scriptural purity, peace, and prosperity of the church, and to promote its usefulness as a witness to the saving grace of God, to assist in the work of the church, to contribute to the financial support of the church, the relief of the needy, and the evangelization of all peoples, to engage regularly in personal Bible reading and prayer, and to establish family devotions where possible, to bring up such children as may be entrusted to our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to walk cautiously in the world, to provide things honest in the sight of all men, to be faithful in engagements, exemplary in conduct, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, to endeavor by example, word, and prayer to win others to an acceptance of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Brothers and sisters, we give great thanks for you today, and uh, we pray that uh, you not only uh, are enriched in your faith here, but you feel God's pleasure as you use the gifts you've been given uh, to really advance his kingdom for the time that we have. So I'd love to pray for all of you, and again, just a, a great moment of joy. Loving Father, I thank you for each life here on the platform. And first of all, that you've called us to yourself, that you've put forth Jesus and you've quickened our hearts. And we come into the world shaking our fist at you and wanting to deny you that you, you drew us to you, that we've, we've come to the end of ourselves and we see Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Lord, help us as a church family to do this well, to take your word seriously and as we talked this morning about really be building each other up and about treating each other in such a way that really shows the world that, that uh, we have a real king, the Lord Jesus himself. I pray that each one here would feel uh, the great freedom in you to use the various gifts they've been given, the considerable gifts they've been doing, do, given mentally and, and just a personality-wise, temperament-wise, to build up this church family and to be better equipped to go out and to win disciples for you. So, Lord, only you can bind us together to that end, even as we've been praying in Philippians. We do pray that, Lord. Make us one. Make us stand side by side for the advance of the gospel. May we love each other well, and in all things, may Christ be lifted high. Amen. Thank you all very much. Church, let's stand together, singing joyfully to the Lord. Oh. 
pray with me. Lord, you tell us that we enter your gates with thanksgiving in our heart. We enter your courts with praise. And so, Lord, this morning we begin our time as we thank you for so many things that we take for granted, and we confess that to you this morning. Lord, we are thankful that we have a place to meet this morning, that we're warm inside that we have friends and people to encourage us. Lord, I pray, uh, thank you for our families. I thank you for jobs and for food. And Lord, I am thankful for those that have spoken of Christ to us. Lord, help us to be thankful for each and every gift that you give us. Lord, we praise you. We praise you that you are so far beyond anything we can imagine. Your ways are above our ways, your thoughts above our thoughts. And Lord, that you are able when we are not. You are strong when we are weak. So Lord, we, uh, we think today uh, and pray for our nation. Lord, it's been a pretty tumultuous time the last few months. We do pray that you would bring peace Lord, I pray for us that we would find our hope not in a political party or a person, but, but in you. I pray that we as the church would be that, the church, um, that we would bring hope, uh, true hope, that we would bring transformation, Lord, that our nation will be changed as people's hearts are changed. And we pray for that, Lord. We pray that only you can change a heart. Only you bring people from death to life. So we pray you would lead us. Pray that you would guide us. And uh, Lord, we, we do pray that um, 
for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution today, who are unable to meet together or in hiding. Um, we pray for them. We pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are imprisoned. Pray to give them hope. Pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with, uh, I think of uh, third world countries, Lord, of Africa, places like Kenya that are struggling. And um, we commit them to you. Lord, we pray you would use us to be a lighthouse and to uh, point others to Christ that we would not be as much about ourselves as we are about you and others. Forgive us for our internal focus. And Lord, we do pray that we would have an eternal focus, focusing on, on you and you alone, as the song said, in Christ alone. Forgive us. Forgive us for our sin, things we have said and thought and done and not done this week. And help us to encourage others. May we encourage one person today in their walk with Christ. In your son's name. Amen. Would you stand as we, if you're able, as we will uh, read today's passage out of Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 to 30. I will be reading out of the ESV translation. Um, if you are home, please join with us if you're able. And uh, as a way to honor God's word. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that, will, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that is from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Thanks. Please be seated. Thank you all. If you could just keep your fingers there on Philippians 1 and your minds kind of uh, just there for a moment. But I realized I made a mistake earlier 
and Kevin, if I'm able to, there are two additional couples who couldn't be here physically this morning that I had meant to introduce at the end of the line. So Curtis and Lauren Carmen, and that is their son, Ellis. They welcomed their second son a few days ago, so that is why um, they are not here, but they too are coming into membership. Curtis and Lauren, we rejoice with you. And then this is David and Becky Cox, and uh, just a beloved couple, been such an encouragement to me. So those, uh, those four, if you're watching, I apologize. I would have done it all at once, but we are thankful for you and look forward to, again, when we can all be uh, together again. So I think that uh, this service, we just uh, overwhelm with thanks for the new members. So uh, turning back now to Philippians 19 to 30, you know why this is such a timely note for us today, uh, for many reasons, but I think it's the fact that Paul, of course, is writing this from prison, that his circumstances are such, we'd say, far from being optimal, are actually quite harsh, and yet what we have him saying is that he is able to rejoice because the work of the ministry is going forward. Even say back in verse 12, as Caleb very ably preached last week, right, that what's happened to me is really for good because it's served to advance the gospel. It's right there that carries over into our own time and place. Well, we're not being persecuted. We might say, well, you know, what's happening now in our culture, say, what if it's the case that people are turning more to questions about God and what God has done in Jesus? Can we say, you know, even though it's been difficult, we rejoice that the name of Jesus has went forth. And so Paul is reflecting in our passage, 19 to 30, it's really a long reflection on his being in prison, that he doesn't know whether or not he's going to make it. He says, I can't tell if I'm on my way. He's waiting trial, probably in the, in the Roman prison here, was whether he's going to be executed or whether he's going to be released. He doesn't know. So it's quite odd at one level where he'd say, I know that this will turn out, verse 19, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. You say, what could he mean by this? See, what he means is that as I'm obedient to Christ in this, that I know at that second coming, when Christ comes again, that I'm going to be delivered and liberated and ultimately be with him. You see, that should be an encouragement to every Christian here today, to say no matter what happens, if we're serving him and in him, that it's going to turn out for good. And I think the very heart of this passage, you could say the thrust, Paul gives us the thesis of this section. It comes in verse 21, doesn't it? These nice little 12 words, Paul's epigram, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Say, everyone in this room, we can know those 12 words, can't we? Say, I could even shorten it up to 10. You could even say something like, for to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Say, that's really the thrust of the passage, and I've entitled the message, the win-win of the Christian life. Say, that's really how Paul's processed his situation. Say, whether I'm uh, here and, and alive and being able to encourage you in the faith, say, that's a win, that's a victory, because it's for the progress of what I really care about, which is the gospel. But if I die, that that's in fact gain because I go to be with Jesus. Now, if you look at verse 21, you might say, well, this is, you know, quite, quite an extreme Christian statement. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You say, well, that's pretty far out there. But here's what I want us to think about this week and really always. To say every person answers that epigram in some way. So the way that I have it, for to me, to live is blank and to die is blank. And you kind of run through the scenarios. You say, every person's going to put something in those spaces. You say, for to me, uh, to live is success. For to me, to live is recognition. For to me, to live is winning. For to me, to win is sexual conquest. 
Four to me, Harold Bloom, the brilliant literary critic. Four to me, to live as Shakespeare. Someone would say, well, I don't, I don't want to answer the question. I don't have to. You say, even when we go that way, that's answering the question too. Because I have no purpose for living. I'm just kind of aimlessly doing whatever I want. Say, that's an answer to the question. That's an answer to the epigram. Four to me, to live is what do you put there? Say, so what about the other part of the sentence, right? And to die is, how do you answer that? It's a void. It's fearful, uncertain. I don't have to think of that yet. So whatever it is, I think every person fills up those lines in that sentence with something. And what Paul's trying to get us to say is actually there's really only uh, one answer, right, for the Christian. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so this morning, very simple outline, you just take that in turn, right? The thrust of this section, first part is what does he mean by to live is Christ? And then secondly, what does he mean by to die is gain? And so what I'll start with, to live is Christ. Paul often talks this way. This near proximity of, of the Christ follower in Jesus. So you think of a, a verse like Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Or how about in Colossians 3? He'll talk about my life is hidden with Christ in God. Or he'll say things like Christ who is your life. And this matches up well with I think the words of Jesus, you know, in, say, a place like John 15, where he says, well, we're to abide in Jesus and remain in Jesus. And at one level, you say, this sounds so extreme, doesn't it? To have an objection that's kind of hidden in Christ, Christ who is my life, to live as Christ. Do we have to go that far? You know, another thing that, about that kind of talk is what it doesn't say is to live is, is ministry, <laughs> See, a lot of us who are Christ followers, we can do that. Say, to live is to, to kind of, you know, do the Christian thing or to point people. He, he says he doesn't even say that. He says, to live is Christ. That it's all about him. With every breath, no matter what happens, all of his energies, whatever he's got, it's going to be about Jesus. Now, this line of thinking created, and still to some extent does, create a great crisis in my life. Because I think it brings us right to the crossroads. See, there's a, a lot in me that wants to dampen this kind of language about loving Jesus and being in Jesus and hidden with Jesus and, 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 and all of that. See, I'm actually quite attracted to the kind of good Christian gentleman persona that's been attractive in the West for a long time. Now, this is the version that says, you know what? Of course, I'm a Christian gentleman. Jesus teaches sensible things. Of course, I believe there's a God. How else would all of this gotten here? Let's just tone it down on, on, on the life in Christ bit. And the problem that I began to have, and I think every person who's thinking about this probably does have, is you say, all the people that knew Jesus best, the call to true discipleship, they always talk this way about Jesus being everything, that they owe everything to him that he's the appointed judge and the king. He's the one who came forward to sacrifice himself for us, to say everything that we ought to do is for him. So you have the true discipleship that's everywhere, as I showed you in Paul and in the way Jesus talks and Jesus' disciples to say, to really be a Christ follower, to say is to, to live for him. And so the option to kind of separate, you know, to save face, to, to adopt a a more socially acceptable version of Jesus really wasn't an option as I was taking the narrative of Jesus seriously. And I hope that's clear to everyone here today. To say it is the case that Christ ought to be our life. 
that he's the one we owe everything to and that we should live for him and be in him and those set apart for him. You know, there's a story that reminds me of this sharp distinction uh, in, in a lot of people's minds. My a pastor in England, who they call the rector, was a man named Vaughn Roberts, and I attended a church called St. Ebbs, uh, an evangelical church, and he recalled to me, he was uh, telling a story about down on the main street there in Oxford, he encountered, you know, the kind of typical uh, English Christian gentleman that I described a moment ago, and they're in a conversation about these things, and the Christian gentleman says to Vaughn, he says, well, at least you're not one of those evangelical types. I mean, they take the Bible way too seriously, and they, you know, all caught up on this Jesus stuff. At least you're not like them. And Vaughn says, well, actually, I I am like them. I, I would say I take the Bible seriously and that I do love Jesus and want my life to be about him. The gentleman says, well, at least you're not like those Christians over at St. Ebbs. I mean, St. Ebbs, I mean, they just are, are way, way off the charts, fanatical about this Jesus stuff. And Vaughn says, well, actually, I I am a member of that congregation of St. Ebbs. And the gentleman, you know, flustered and more angry, said, well, at least you're not like their rector, Vaughn Roberts. I mean, that guy leading that con congregation into believing all of this stuff. And of course, Vaughn says, well, actually, I am, I am that Vaughn Roberts. And uh, a conversation kind of ended, but you get the point, is that there's the Christian gentleman side that says there's, a perfect, there's an element of this that is widely acceptable and actually uh, quite a good thing to adopt and has been for some time in our country. Verse, the language that we have here that's quite striking, that pierces us, that say, no, I actually see in Christ something more that I'm devoted to him, that I want my life to be about him. I want to proclaim him. And what Paul says about this in verse 20, he says, I'm, I'm eager, you know, no matter what happens, and my hope, that's an assurance, right? It's not like I hope, you know, I hope the Bills beat the Chiefs today, not that kind of thing, but I, it is my firm hope that I'm not going to be ashamed. You see, we do the exact opposite, right? Say, we think that what's shameful is to talk this way and about taking Jesus too seriously and wigging people out. Say, that's uh, embarrassing and shameful. And I ask you, say, what's really shameful? To live for him now or to get to the end of our lives, to stand before him, to realize we've missed the point of our lives, that we've missed the true king, we've missed what God has done in Jesus. You say, wouldn't that be a real shame? Say, I guarantee you, nobody, nobody is going to be ashamed for doing too much for King Jesus. What we will be ashamed about is to say, I filled in the blank of this statement with all kinds of frivolous things. Say, that would be a real shame. To live is sports, recognition, winning, fornicating, whatever it would be. Say, that's a real shame. But no one's going to be ashamed for saying, you know what? I got the purpose of life and what God did in Jesus, and I served him. I served him. Say, no one will be ashamed for that. You know, another story, I made friends with a man who was a little bit older than me. He was a urological surgeon who had, uh, years before, been at the University of Cambridge and had subsequently be become a Christian sometime in that time in, in medical school. And we were going into church one Sunday morning, and there was a guest preacher. And so he takes the bulletin, and he glances down, and he sees the guest preacher's name, Rico Tice. And he pauses, and I said, what's the matter? He said, Rico... Rico tried to tell me about Jesus many years ago at Cambridge as an undergraduate. And I mocked him, made fun of him, didn't have the time of day for him. And you could see on my friend's face, you say, well, that's the case. Rico won the day because he preached Jesus. He was not put to shame, even though mocked at the time, 
that truth and time go hand in hand. And I guarantee as we live for Jesus, we make him the center of our lives. And that is, in fact, a lifelong journey. As I say, I'm very much tempted. I will this week put many things, be tempted to put many things in that blank, to live as whatever. Say, we're on the great quest to make Jesus the center of who we are. You know, another level, you say, try to unpack this a bit. You say, well, play around with the other options you put in there. You know, to live as... And anything you, you put in that line, especially in our context, deep down, I think we know it's, it's very unsatisfying, isn't it? Say, to live as... I can't, you know, you get a nice sports car. What happens? Well, you, you drive the car. It's, it's nice. It's fast. Everybody says that's a nice car. But, you know, the months go on and the years go on and time marches on quickly and the new model comes out that's a little bit faster and sharper. You say, well, I, you know, I, I guess it's, it's nice or... You know, the vacation you have planned, you say it's going to be a very extravagant two-week vacation, and say there, there it comes, and there it goes, and then you get back, you say, well, you know, i got to wait 50 more weeks to be able to do that again. So it was, a, yeah, it was fun, it was nice, but is that what I live for? Say promotion, recognition, say there's always going to be people that have more than I do, that are more publicly uh, important than I am. You say anything you put in that line to live is, I hope we see, ends up being very disappointing. You know, Chesterton, the, um, the Catholic intellectual, he made this line. I think this is so true, right? Meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. So it's not that all of us in our context, that we're weighed down by chronic pain, but actually what happens to, to those of us around us, that we have so very much, and yet we can feel so very empty. Say, how is it that I've done, you know, seem to have so much, a nice house and good things and even a robot to do my dishes? We call it dishwasher. Say, I have all these nice things and a fancy education, and yet, yet to live as any of that is actually very disappointing. And so what Paul's trying to get us to see is whatever goes in that line has to be not limited to circumstances and material. I need something beyond myself that's you know, unshakable and something beyond the here and now. And that's why he says, to, for me to, to live is Christ, who's God's anointed one. You ask that question that Peter asked, right, in John chapter 6, all of us, right, to whom shall I go? That's right, are you going to leave me too? You say, well, I'm very tempted. But then I ask, well, to whom will I go? What's going to be my purpose? And our task here on Sunday mornings, a lot of reasons we gather, but if you go back to verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, remember, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It's as if one of the purposes of the church is to constantly revisit this question of priorities and discernment. As I say, I'm going to go off into this world this next six days, and I'm going to be you know, tempted to live for all kinds of things, and yet we as the church family, we come back to this truth and to say, well, wait a second, don't, don't go there. That's unfulfilling. It's not, it's not going to last. To live is Christ. He's the center, right? He, we're, we're in him. We live for him. That we're dead to ourselves. Say, that's the truth. Our task is to discern what really matters, and quite frankly, come, as a lot of Christians will, come to the end of ourselves. If you talk to those who are Christians and have been a long time, you say, this is a language that they'll often use. Say, I came to the end of myself, that I really wasn't getting to where I wanted to go, that there's nothing else that I was living for, that I realized that, I, that I'm a, a dead man walking, that I needed Jesus to quicken me and give me a purpose. 
And that's what happened to Paul. He came to the end of himself, and he says, for to me to live is Christ. Now, I also want us to think about whatever we put in that line, for to me to live is blank. If it's not Christ, in fact, if it's not something beyond circumstances and material, that's going to affect the second part of the epigram, to, to, to die is gain. So think, say, for to me to live is partying. Well, when you die, that's a big problem, right? Because there's no more partying as you know it. For to me, to live is winning and being recognized by other people. Well, when you die, um, you know, who's to say that's going to be a part of it? For to me, to live is money. Well, when you die, you don't take your money with you. For to me, to live is shopping. Well, Crocker Park is not going, you know, whatever it would be. So whatever you put in the first part of the line, for to me, to live is the next part of the equation is going to read, and to die is loss. And what Paul's saying, well, for to me to live is Christ, and because of who Christ is, to die is in fact gain. So what everything that we are, what's going to separate the kind of good Christian gentleman mentality to what the biblical true discipleship mentality is, is that Jesus is the very focus of what keeps us going that we live for him. We're not ashamed for him. That's the life that's not going to lead to shame. Missing him is, in fact, what really is going to lead to shame. May we be those who strive, right, to live, to live as Christ, to die to ourselves and to be about him. Now, what is to die? To die is gain. We could call this, the medieval uh, scholars would say this is the ars moriendi, uh, the, the, the art of dying well, and some will object here and say, well, actually, if you know your classical literature, the objection is um, a lot of people treated death as a good thing in antiquity. But here's the difference. Those who longed for death in the ancient world usually did it as an escape from the painful realities of this earth. So they say, you know, life's miserable, I'm ill, uh, I have no joy, therefore I look forward to death to be liberated from this body of pain. You say, Paul is, is doing something very different. He says, actually, I'm quite joyful now. <laughs> I have a real purpose now. In fact, if I stay here, it's good because it's beneficial to all the saints and I'm filled with joy. Uh, but to die is not an escape. He says to die is gain. And may there be no mistake about it. This is probably a different sermon for a different day, but there's no hint here of suicide or even a mentality of euthanasia, right? So Paul's saying, I carry in my body uh, the, the physical wounds of following Christ, the sufferings that I've endured, I carry those in my body so that I might be an encouragement to all those who are in Jesus now. And as long as that takes place, as long as I'm in the prison, then I know that's for the advance of the gospel. Whenever God calls me home, that that too is for gain. So very different than these other mentalities, you know, now that are fashionable, be, be it suicide or euthanasia or even the old idea of death as escape. That's not what he's going on about. What he's saying is, as long as I'm here, it's for Jesus and when I die, I get more of Jesus, therefore it's gain. Now, what's the non-Christian, secular, naturalistic answer to the second part of the epigram? So to live is, we played around with those ideas, to die is a void, to die is, is scary, to die is, again, we don't think about that. And, and what I would say, I, I suppose that the naturalistic answer is when you die, you return to a state like you were before you were born. That is, there's no consciousness at all. So therefore, there's nothing really to be afraid of. You just kind of, you, you know, you go off and, and, and that's it. You return to the dust. There's nothing spiritual in us. The problem with this, as I see it, you think about this, is that it seems to betray the very longings 
and uh, inclinations and intuitions of every human heart. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, you say Larry King died, remember? You know? 87 years old, and a nice long life. And I'm watching on my newsfeed all the celebrities and the people that he interviewed kind of sending messages. You know, they're saying, Larry, rest in peace. Larry, we know you're in a better place. And, whatever. and you say, well, what, what do you mean? What does he need rest from? Uh, what's the alternative to resting in peace? Uh, can Larry really hear us right now? You get the, it's as if, uh, you know, the naturalistic answers say there's nothing out there, but then the way we talk about it is as if there is. You know, Susan Sontag, she was a public intellectual, had been through Berkeley and Harvard and authored a number of books. She's a leading, you know, one of these uh, ladies, really a, a leading intellectual, um, you know, kind of in, in, uh, in, in that arena. And we're told by those close to her, she was diagnosed with cancer and uh, took this very hard. They said uh, she was just devastated knowing that it was going to be the end. She went through some treatments and then uh, at the very end, a doctor's assistant came in and said, Susan, um, this is it. Um, this is the very end. And the doctor's assistant could see how shaken up she was by this and said, it's now time to embrace your spiritual values. And Susan Sontag sags her head and says, I have no spiritual values. You say, I think that kind of thing is very close to reality. So we can talk about death as if you say, well, it's a great void. It's back to the way we were before we were born. But nobody, I, I don't think, really feels. I think of Dylan Thomas, right, the great poet, right? He wrote a couple of poems on death. And death shall have no dominion was early in his career, right? Death, I will not succumb to death. Or later in his life, do, we go, do not go gently into that good night. You know that poem, rage, rage against the dying light. The Dylan Thomas protests, I, I won't go to death. And said, yet all of us do. The overwhelming number of, say, Americans, right, overwhelmingly believe in a kind of afterlife. And so while the secular answer is, don't worry about it, it's a void, the cry of every human heart, right, what Ecclesiastes told us so long ago, God has put eternity in our hearts. Quite frankly, we want to live forever. We want to be with one another. We're, we're made to be with our maker in the end. We long to be with the creator, and we long to be in the place where everything is made right. Say, so that's what's in our hearts, that the secular answer does not measure with what's inside each one of us. And what does Paul say? Well, actually, when I die, it's going to be gain. See, it's going to be gain because I get to be with my Lord Jesus. You see how he says, verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two, right, to live in the cell, to advance the gospel, but my desire is, in fact, to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Pause here on a, a quick theological note. Roman Catholic theology has a very different teaching on this. That Roman Catholic theology teaches the idea of purgatory. That the saints, those who are in the church, when they die, that we go to an intermediate place where all of our impurities are, are burned off of us, and only then, usually after many, many thousands of years, can we go to be with Jesus. So I'll read, here's the Catholic Catechism, section 1030. Um, 1030 says this, all who die in God's grace and friendship but still are imperfectly purified are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. But then this, the church formulated her doctrine of the faith of purgatory at the councils of Florence and Trent. 
So may there be no mistake about it. Catholic Church says, no, when you die, you go for many thousands of years to a place where you've got to pay the price for all the bad things that you do. And this is not come, it does not come from the Bible, but it comes from the Council of Florence in 1439 and the Council of Trent, a series of sessions in the mid-16th century. That's where it comes from. And we look back down to Scripture, right? What does Paul say? When I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. He's had a long period of penalties to pay. But when those who are in Jesus die, we go to be with him, and that is by far the better. You know, I think about this anchoring of hope in Jesus and how different he is. I remember about five years ago now, we were doing a little pastor's conference in Moscow, and uh, we had a half day off, and I'm there with the Russian pastors and a Ukrainian friend, and we were there, go to the Red Square right by the Kremlin, and in the Red Square's uh, Lenin's mausoleum, I say, not John, Vladimir. And uh, Vladimir is um, embalmed there in a glass case, so you can see him. And it's heavily guarded, and we're walking in there, and you know, my Ukrainian friend, we're there, it's very quiet, and looking at Lenin's body, decayed and embalmed. And, and my friend leans down into my ear, and he says, you know, Jesus Christ is alive, but Lenin is dead. And I said, well, that's true. For all of the power that that man wielded, and all the power any person can wield. They say, how sad to have sold out to a person like Lenin or anybody else. Say, what shame that would be to have sold out to something lesser than the Lord Jesus who lives and reigns. And that's why Paul says, when I die, I'm going to be with him. He's the real king. He reigns, and I won't be put to shame. And that's by far better. You know, in this congregation, this morning, 8 o'clock service, a couple of you here today that I make icon, I know you've lost loved ones this year. I know it's been a year of a lot of loss. Some in the medical industry, you've seen a lot of death. See, I, as a clergyman, I've been to a, a lot of those funerals where there's a little casket. Uh, there's a teenager who dies in a car accident. You see, those are terrible days. Those are terrible days. But may there be no mistake about it, that whether you're nine or you're 90, that if you die in Christ, that is better by far. And I hope if you're in Jesus today that there's a great sense of hope in this epigram that while we're here, as hard as it might be, that we live for him. We even bear the hardship, maybe not physically, but we bear it delightfully. Why? Because we together can advance the gospel for as long as we're here. When he calls us home, that is better by far. Close with this. You know, if you're not a Christian today, Say, all of us, think about that little line, to live is what and to die is what. Just say privately this week, again, you're not a Christian, you say, fill in those lines. And I hope you see, you know what, what I'm filling those lines with is actually very unsatisfactory and it doesn't meet the longings of my heart because I'm living for my work and to die is scary. Say, how much better to see to live is Jesus and to die is gain. And you can see in Christ that he offers something that the world does not offer. Would you surrender him today to agree with God about your sin? To say, look, I'm at the end of myself. I can't do this on my own. I've made a mess of things. I find that there's forgiveness in Jesus. I surrender to him so that I can live for him and I won't be put to shame. And then to die really is, in fact, gain. You know, David Cassidy, those who, you know, I know who he is. He was a heartthrob, you know, Partridge family. Um, and uh, he died not that long ago, and his daughter was at his bedside. I use this at funerals a lot, Katie Cassidy. And, and they said, well, what was the, you know, this great, very famous man? What were his last words? And she said his last words were, so much wasted time. So much wasted time. 
See, those are haunting words to any one of us. Say, look at what I've done. I've just, you know, lived for myself. You say, may none of us waste time but to live for Jesus. For those who are Christians, say, we've really got to sort this out, right? To discern every week, to, to fight to discern, to work it out, to gain knowledge, to see what the will of God is, to say, am I just doing the nice Christian gentlemanly thing to save face, to do the acceptable version? Or am I called to do more, to really live for him, to die to myself and be with Jesus? As the great end of the Wesley hymn, Jesus, the name high over all, says, Happy if with my latest breath I may but gasp his name. Preach him to all and in death cry, Behold, behold the Lamb. That Wesley would say, Even at my final breath, I declare, Behold, the, behold the Lamb, because I know when I die, I'm going to be with him. Church family, again, take heart if you're in Christ. To live is for him, and to die is gain. May we strive to make that, again, true deep down in our hearts. I'll invite Ian back up. Lord, all these hundreds of years ago, Paul would write that I'm enduring this pain for the gospel as an encouragement to the saints. And, oh, Lord, how it's been an encouragement to us in these times. To say, okay, our well-being and our joy doesn't come from our immediate circumstances, but rather it is about what you've done in the world through Jesus going forth. And help us to be more true disciples, this lifelong quest of true discipleship. Again, Lord, the temptation is great to say to live is whatever we would put in there, and even this week, to fight back, to say, wait a second, I'm called back to this line. Is this the only life that will not end up in shame? And Lord, for those, again, who've faced the prospect of death or have experienced it for firsthand in the passing of a loved one this year, may we see the great truth of this, that Jesus reigns, that to die is to gain, that the only thing greater than serving Jesus now is going to be in the life to come to be with him. Lord, may this sink down deep. May we live as if this is true. For Christ's sake, amen. Church, let's stand and respond. Singing praises to the Lord. My earth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh alone, but in the costly wounds of love.
2 Corinthians 5. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. The win-win of the Christian life. While we're here, we please him and live for him. And when we die, we go to be with him, which is in fact gain. Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, honor, dominion, and authority through all the ages, now and forevermore. Amen. May we go in the Lord's peace.